prayer is profound. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is absolutely serious. And because of that thought in our minds, it might surprise us to recognize that there's anything fun about prayer or anything playful. In fact, it might be an affront to our sensibilities if someone were to suggest that there's something playful and fun around our prayers. But I don't think that's how the psalmist would see it. I think the psalmist have demonstrated that there is a fun side of prayer. There is a side that gets exciting. There's a side that, that taps into us deeply. The psalmists demonstrate that, I believe, in their creativity. The psalmists definitely prayed creatively. Now, there's no mistaking the psalms for some dry prose or some legal type of document. It's creative. It's exciting. It's fun. Perhaps I see it as fun and playful simply because of my background in language and in literature, but as I read it and as I see the poetry and the, the devices that they use and the, the pictures that they make for us, I just recognize that there's an exciting side of prayer about the praying itself. And while I certainly don't want us to believe that being creative in our prayers is an absolute necessity in order to pray validly or to pray properly, as we've been talking about praying like the psalmist, I just don't think we can look at the psalms without recognizing this aspect of their prayer. And I want us to talk for a few moments this morning about being creative in our prayers as the psalmists were. Before we do that, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, you are our rock and our redeemer. You are our mighty fortress, our strong and mighty tower. You are our shield and our deliverer. And we praise you and we thank you. Father, your blessings fall upon us like the rain that we're seeing this morning. And we are so thankful because you take such good care of us. We've all been sheltered from this rain today and we've all been able to eat and we've got clothes and cars. And we're so comfortable here in this facility as we're worshiping you. We thank you for that, for the blessings that you've given us. But most of all, we're thankful for the spiritual blessings in your Son and your Spirit and in the Word, for the redemption and the forgiveness that you have offered us. You have cleansed us and purged us and purified us. And Father, we are thankful for that. We pray, Father, that you will hear our prayer, that you will accept our offering before you. Father, be with us as we study your Word this morning. Help us to dig deeper in our prayer lives, to to strive to pray in a way that lifts you up, that applies words to all those things that we feel we can't. We pray that you would strengthen us to pray as your psalmist did, and to draw closer to you through that prayer. Father, we love you so much, and we thank you for loving us. Through your Son we pray. Amen. As we think about this idea of creativity in prayer, the first concept I just think we need to recognize is that concept of putting words to our speechlessness. I think we have the idea today that one of the greatest compliments that we can offer is just to say that I'm speechless. Words cannot describe what I'm feeling, and words cannot express 
what's going on. And, and so because of that, we sometimes just take an easy way out when we're talking to someone and say that kind of thing. Oh, words can't express how much I love you. Words can't express how happy I am. Words can't express how sad I am. And sometimes I think we carry that over into our praying. As we go to God and we offer up sometimes very general, very vague ideas as if, well, words just can't express how great you are. Words can't express how much I praise you. And words can't express, God, how I'm feeling right now. And what we see in the Psalms is something completely different. I'd like for you to listen to this quote by J. Ellsworth Collins from his book, Longing to Pray, How the Psalms Teach Us to Talk to God. He says, You've known the frustration, I'm sure, in the experiences of human friendship and love of saying to someone, I just wish I could find the words to tell you what you mean to me or what our friendship means to me. So it is that the psalmist wants a new song and his exuberance is such that he calls on everyone else to join his choir, all the earth, all the people. But our wonderful spiritual ancestor doesn't say as we might, I can't find words to express what I feel. He would see this, I think, as an unholy cop-out. So he launches into rolling phrases of praise, making us richer for it. This idea that, oh, I just can't put what I'm feeling into words. The psalmist did not expect that. Instead, they dug deep and they worked hard to figure out, how can I put it into words? What words can I use? What experiences can I relate to this? How can I draw a picture that says, God, this is how much I love you. God, this is how upset I am. God, this is how much sadness I feel. God, this is how much joy I feel. God, this is how much I need forgiveness and what I want you to do for me. They, they worked hard at figuring out ways to put words to their speechlessness. And I think we need to learn from their example. Certainly, I'm not saying it's wrong to suggest that things are so great you just can't describe it. But maybe we are weaker for that. But maybe we need to learn to take the time and, and put in the effort, as the psalmist did, looking at some of the ways in which they creatively talked to God. I want you to think about just a few examples. In Psalm 23, one of our favorite psalms, have you ever thought about what that psalm is? You know, the psalmist could have said, God, you're my leader, and we'd be done. But that's not what the psalmist said. The psalmist said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Truly goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The psalmist was not satisfied simply with saying, God, you're my leader and I will follow you. Instead, he presents this picture to God of a sheep and of a shepherd, of being taken beside quiet waters and green pastures, of being led even through the valley of the shadow of death as the enemies looked on, of his cup overflowing. What a creative picture. And doesn't that really pull at our emotions and our hearts and our feelings? Do you think that Psalm 23 would be nearly as moving and, and, and nearly as, well, maybe this is not the right word to use, but popular among us today if instead it had been two lines, God, you are my leader and I'll follow you forever? Recognize the creativity here. Look at Psalm 18. In Psalm 18, verses 1 through 3, 
The psalmist could have simply said, God is powerful and I trust you. But instead he says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. Would that mean as much to us if he had simply said, God, you are powerful and I trust you? Instead, he provides the picture of a, of a castle, of a strong and mighty tower, and us riding into it as the enemies come up behind us and the gates fall down, and there we are now protected because we're relying upon God. Look at Psalm 59. In Psalm 59, the psalmist is praying because he has enemies that are attacking him. And he could have simply said, God, I have enemies and they're attacking me. But instead, in Psalm 59, in verse 6, he says, Each evening they come back howling like dogs and prowling about the city. There they are, bellowing with their mouths, with swords in their lips, for who, they think, will hear us. And then again in verse 14 of Psalm 59, Each evening they come back howling like dogs and prowling about the city. They wander about for food and growl if they do not get their fill. What a picture of the enemies. Again, would that have been as moving for us? Would that have expressed the emotion as much if he had just said, I've got enemies. They're scaring me. They're frightened. No. He provides this word picture of wild animals that are, that are plaguing a town that growl about outside the city walls that, that make it frightening to go outside at night because of the attack that might be there. And they're coming over and over again. They're like these dogs that just keep coming back. Every night. Listen to the creativity there. The word picture that is drawn for us. In Psalm 32, when the psalmist wanted to talk about the consequences of his own sin. Psalm 32, when the psalmist wanted to talk about the consequences of his own sins, he didn't just say, my sins have made me feel bad. He didn't just say, oh, there have been awful consequences. In Psalm 32 and verse 3, he says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. What a picture. What a picture of the guilt that he was feeling because of the sin that he had committed. It was as if it had impacted his entire body. That day of exhaustion because it is just so hot and dry and we can't find anything refreshing to strengthen us. So that's how it felt. Would it have meant as much if he had just said, God, I sinned and I feel really guilty? Or if he sought forgiveness in Psalm 51. Look in Psalm 51. As he sought forgiveness in verse 7 of Psalm 51. Purge me with hyssop, he writes, and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. How much different than that sounds than, God, I'm a sinner, please forgive me. Now, 
We recognize that's a valid prayer. That's the, the prayer of the tax collector. Be merciful to me, a sinner. But even that, as we see, how deeply does this picture move us? As we consider David laying out this prayer, recognizing how much he needed that forgiveness, and what that forgiveness really represented, purging the pits of clean, give me a new heart, a new spirit. Fix the bones that you have broken. Forgiveness, what a, what a picture. Perhaps my favorite is the picture of fasting provided in the Psalms. Look in Psalm 42. In Psalm 42 and verse 3, the psalmist, instead of simply saying, I felt so bad I haven't eaten, he says, my tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Another picture of fasting in Psalm 102 and verse 9. In Psalm 102 and verse 9, instead of just saying, my enemies are taunting me and, and so I haven't been able to eat, he says in Psalm 102 and verse 9, for I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink. What's he saying there? He's saying I'm not eating anything. I'm crying all the time. I'm in sackcloth and ashes. It's, it's a picture of fasting. How different would those psalms have been if all they had said was, I'm, I'm not eating. I'm not eating right now. Things are so bad, I'm not eating. But listen to that picture. What I want you to hear is the psalmist. They, they were not satisfied with just simple, basic, prosaic statements. They dug deep to try to provide the pictures of emotion and feeling to really drive home here is what is happening. Now, I think that as we consider this, the question we're then going to ask is, okay, how do I develop this kind of creativity in my prayer? If I'm going to pray like the psalmist, how do I develop this kind of language for my prayer? Now, I, I just want to share with you some things that I think will help us. The very first thing I want to say, however, is, well, don't be too hard on yourself. As we're talking about being creative in our prayers, this is not so that we can have great oratory. This is not so that we can be great poets. This is not so that when we pray, we can sound like Byron or Keats. This is not so that, that we can be like Milton or Shakespeare. That's not the point behind this. The point behind us praying creatively is not so we'll sound good. It's not so that we can write a book that will be hailed as classic for thousands of years, just like the Psalms have been. The reason why I'm even suggesting that this issue of creativity would be good for us is, is not so that others will like our praying, but so that we will work harder at putting words to that, those expressions that we have to God. Instead of taking that cop out of all oh, words just can't describe it, but rather working hard at doing that. And so the thing that I want to start off with is let's not be too hard on ourselves. Because the reality is this is not one of those lessons where you've got to do this or you're praying wrong. This is one of those lessons where here is an interesting aspect of their praying that I think will help us. We can pray a very valid, a very proper, a very effective prayer, and it could be straightforward and it would not be creative and it wouldn't be poetic at all, and that would be okay. So I just want to start off by saying don't be too hard on yourself, especially because I think it's this idea of the creativity that actually causes us so often to look at the Psalms and feel like we can't pray the way they pray. And so as we're growing in prayer, again, don't be too hard on yourself. And remember what it says in Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 26. In Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 26, Paul said, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. 
And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. As we're growing in our prayers, even where we have weaknesses, sometimes, sometimes we really don't know the words to express what needs to be expressed right now. And the thing that we can take comfort in is that the Spirit is interceding on our behalf. As we're growing in Christ, as we're hanging on to Him and staying true to God, the Spirit intercedes for us even when we are too weak to put our prayers into the appropriate words. The second thing I think we need to recognize, the, the second thing that will help us develop creativity is we're just going to have to understand that we've got to work at it. We've got to work at it. Let's face it, this kind of creativity doesn't just tumble off the tongue. We don't just sit down and suddenly produce some creative masterpiece of a prayer. It takes time to think about well, what I'm feeling right now. What does it remind me of? What pictures have I seen? What, what's going on in the world that I could say relates to this? That takes time. And that's not going to happen just as we sit down and kneel down and pray and it's just all going to come to us naturally. The fact is, brothers and sisters, these psalms, they worked at these psalms. If you remember, and some of you may remember, the very first lesson we did in the series of Praying Like the Psalmist, we looked in Isaiah chapter 38. In Isaiah chapter 38, we noticed that as great as these psalms were, even the psalmist didn't just naturally pray like this. In Psalm 38 and verse 3, we hear Hezekiah's prayer. In Psalm 38 and verse 3, he says, Please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness with a whole heart and have done, good, done what is good in your sight. That's his prayer. But then after all the, the scenario takes place, in verse 10 we read his psalm that memorialized the prayer and memorialized what God did and the psalm that would later be prayed by others as they came into similar circumstances. In Isaiah 38 and verse 10, I said in the middle of my days I must depart. I am consigned to the gates of Sheol for the rest of my years. I said, excuse me, I shall not see the Lord, the Lord in the land of the living. I shall look on man no more among the inhabitants of the world. My dwelling is plucked up and removed from me like a shepherd's tent. Like a weaver, I have rolled up my life. He cuts me off from the loom. From day to night, you bring me to an end. I call myself until morning. Like a lion, he breaks all my bones. From day to night, you bring me to an end. Like a swallow or a crane, I chirp. I moan like a dove. My eyes are weary with looking upward. O Lord, I am oppressed. Be my pledge of safety. What shall I say? For he has spoken to me, and he himself has done it. I walk slowly all of my years because of the bitterness of my soul. O oh Lord, by these things men live, and in all these is the life of my spirit. O oh, restore me to health and make me live. Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness, but in love you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction, for you have passed all my sins behind your back. For Sheol does not thank you, death does not praise you. Those who go down to the pit do not hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living he thanks you, as I do this day. The Father makes known to the children your faithfulness. The Lord will save me, and we will play my music on stringed instruments all the days of our lives as in the house of the Lord. Notice the difference between those. That natural prayer that just came out off the tongue, and then the prayer that, well, that was worked at. He took some time to think about it. He took some time to think about what's going on in the natural world that I can relate to this. Like a swallow or a crane, I chirp. I moan like a dove. What's what he's had experience with. My dwelling is plucked up and removed from me like a shepherd's tent. Like a weaver, I have rolled up my life. He cuts me off from the loom. Those are very creative statements, but, but it takes time to think of them. It takes work 
to look around and figure out what's going on in the world that relates to what I'm trying to express to God right now. So if we're going to be creative, we're just going to have to recognize that it's going to take more than just kneeling down to pray. It's going to take some meditation. It's going to take some thought. It's going to take some study. It's going to take some work to be able to develop in our own repertoire, in our own prayer vocabulary, the kinds of images and pictures that that will offer up these expressions to God that will put words to the things that we want to express to God. I'm just going to have to tell you, if we want to be creative like the psalmists are, it's going to take work. It's going to take time outside of just when we're kneeling down. We're going to have to work at it. The other thing is, is we're just going to have to become comfortable with figures, with figurative language, with figures of speech. We're going to have to become comfortable. Look, metaphor, simile, hyperbole, synecdoche. All of those things are a part of creativity. They're a part of that. Now, you don't have to know what all those names mean. You don't have to be able to say, okay, I'm going to use a metaphor in this prayer. You don't have to know that. You don't have to know what synecdoche means. You don't have to know what the word hyperbole means, but you're going to have to become comfortable with using figurative speech if you're going to be creative. And that sometimes that means exaggerating. Oh, some folks will be so upset. Oh, that's lying. No, no, it's not. Not in the psalm. They use hyperbole all the time. By the way, guess what I just did? I just used a hyperbole. See, that's an exaggeration. We don't have a problem with that most of the time, but, but somehow sometimes we come to prayer and we have the idea that if, if everything I say is not just absolutely 100% literal and prosaic and accurate, then we're going to be in trouble. If I'm exaggerating, I'm lying to God. No, that's not it at all. If we're going to become creative, we've got to get used to and comfortable with figurative language. Look in Psalm 51. In Psalm 51. We read verse 7 a few moments ago. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Now let me ask you, do you think that David was actually saying, God, I need a bath? Do you think that David, a Middle Eastern Hebrew, olive-skinned, was actually saying, do this and I will become white like snow? No, that's not what he's talking about. This is figurative language. He's talking about getting rid of his sin. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Now, we've read the story around David's sin, and there's no bone breakage going on there. He's in perfectly good health physically as far as all that around there. By the way, did you notice Hezekiah also used that same figure, the bones that you have broken. Now, David is not saying God broke his bones. David is using this figure to describe what's going on. He's using the concept of physical pain to describe the spiritual pain that he is going through and what he needs removed from it. See, some of us today would say, oh, no, oh, that would be lying. He hasn't broken any bones. Well, that's, that's a figurative statement. But back up to verse 3. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. And David really saying that right there in front of him, there's his sin. He sees it all the time. No, he's talking about what's going on mentally, the fact that it's filling his mind and it's taking away his energy. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now, brothers and sisters, we know that's just not true. David sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against Uriah. He sinned against the entire nation. But here in this prayer, he says, against you, God, against you only I have sinned. What is that? That's an exaggeration to drive home the point about how important it is that he sinned against God, that that's what really matters. And he goes on. 
Verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, is David saying that his mother committed fornication? Is he saying that the act of giving birth to him was sinful? No, he's not saying that. That's his exaggeration of pointing out how guilty he feels and how sinful he is because of his sin. It's just like as if, it's just like as if I was conceived in sin and I was born in sin. It's like all of that's just been sinful. That's We've got to get used to that kind of language. And it's okay to use that in our praying. But we don't need to be bound by ancient figures. Go ahead and hold your, hold your finger in Psalm 51 because we're going to come right back to it. But look in Psalm 20. In Psalm 20 in verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. Well, that was true in David's day. Do you know of anybody today that's trusting in chariots and horses? I don't. Today we trust in jets and tanks, missiles, maybe our cars or our houses, but people aren't trusting in horses and chariots. We don't have to adopt their figures. This made sense to them because that's what people were doing. We don't have to be bound by that. Look back again now in Psalm 51 and verse 7. Purge me with bishop, and I shall be clean. How many of you know what purging with hyssop means? Sounds poetic. We might like to say it, but we don't even know what that means. Hyssop was, a, as I understand it, a bush or a plant, and they would and it, they would they would break off the branch and they would use it to scour things because of how rough it was. I mean, we, we don't use hyssop to to purge things today to clean things. This is a figure that makes very little sense to us today. Now, of course, we use scouring pads and Brillo pads and Lysol and bleach. You know, we can use those modern figures. We don't have to use those ancient figures. We don't have to be bound by that. We can use the things that are going on in our world today. You know, I recognize that it might sound weird to say, you know, cleanse me with a scouring pad. You realize that's the exact thing that he was saying here when he says purging with hyssop. That is what he's saying. Imagine how weird that might have sounded to somebody who heard that for the first time back in his day. Now, I will offer this caution, and I'll say it again before we're done. I think we do need to be careful as we explore creativity in our public prayers because we don't want to be so creative that we distract folks from what we're actually praying about. I'd certainly suggest that we work on this in our private praying before we start experimenting with figures in our public prayer. But then again, I can't help but wonder, the first person who ever heard purged me with hyssop. I wonder what they thought about that. We don't have to be bound by their figures. One of the things that I think will really help, this is just a very practical piece of advice on this, I'm just going to encourage you, if you want to work on creativity, creativity and prayer, read poetry. When we think about creativity today, one of the most common places we think about it, isn't it, in poetry? As they work very hard to find the right words and draw the pictures that, that allows them to place expression to what they're feeling. Read poetry, and I'll tell you where to start. Start with the Psalms. Start with the Psalms. Read the Psalms. Even though there are some figures that we don't, we're not going to be bound to because they don't make sense to us today, there's certainly some, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. What a great picture. And that can mean the exact same thing to us as it did to them. What a great picture. As we find words and phrases and pictures that give voice 
what we want to express, we can adopt that. But it doesn't just have to be biblical poetry. Uh, read, read poetry from the world because that's creative stuff. I mean, how many folks have been moved by Alfred Lord Tennyson's Crossing the Bar and have used that exact same kind of language as they've talked and prayed about their own illnesses and death? And that's okay. We can use that kind of language as it gives voice to what we're feeling and expressing. And the final thing that I'll offer here is just try. Just try. You know, the reality is, when most of us are praying, most of the time it's just us and God. And God's pretty gracious. And so I, I just encourage you, just try. Any time that, that you're tempted to say, words just can't express. God, I wish I could tell you how to. Why not instead stop? And just think about it. Okay, if I really were going to try to express this, what kind of things would express it? Here's the feeling that I'm having right now. And if I, if I had to put words to it, what would I say? What's going on in the world? What have I experienced that reminds me of this, that is like this? By wanting to show somebody how tremendous my feeling is, what, what kind of exaggeration might I offer? to really drive home what it really feels like on the inside. Just try. Again, again, I'm going to suggest we need to be careful in our public prayers. Whoever is leading the closing prayers today, I kind of feel sorry for you. But this is, this is not your invitation. To, you have to be creative today. Uh, work, work in private prayers. Because, of course, there's some things that we might suggest that do sound silly as we're experimenting and trying to be creative. And, and we don't want our attempts to be creative if, if they don't work quite right to distract what's going on here. But at the same time, again, when those first Hebrews heard, purge me with hyssop, purge me with my scouring pad, that's what they heard. What, I wonder what they thought of that. So just try. Just work at it. Again, we'll, we'll wrap back up to point number one there. Don't be too hard on yourself. But just work on it. And the reason for this is not, again, to be orators, to be poetic, to be some great masterpiece of prayer, but rather for us to work harder and dig deeper to give voice to what it is that's going on inside us that we want to bring to God. For me, as I look at this, and again, maybe some of you are thinking, all right, this is kind of weird and this is kind of odd, but maybe because of my background in literature and language, this just to me is the most exciting lesson we've had. I, I, to me, it's, it's fun to work at prayer like this and to think through these kind of figures and, and to try to give voice to those deep emotions and feelings and requests and expressions that we want to give to God. There is the fun and playful side to prayer. And that's okay. We're allowed to be creative in our praying. In fact, if we're going to pray like the psalmist, we will be creative. No, we don't have to. If you're there and just saying, well, look, I'm just a, you know, I'm just a solid, staid, prosaic kind of Christian, okay, that's fine. I think you're missing out on something. But you can pray like that, and it'll be just as valid. But I just wanted to share with you one of the things that has helped me as I've looked at the psalms that help us in our praying to pray more like them.